Deuteronomy 26 is where you will uh, find our scripture text for this morning. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 26. Uh, we are at the end of the sermon series entitled No Longer Slaves. We have taken a look at a lot of the book of Deuteronomy and talked about how God has freed the Israelites from slavery and have applied that to our own lives and how God has freed us from the slavery of sin and death and brought us into a new life of grace. Deuteronomy chapter 26, uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Let's begin in a word of prayer. Father, as we open your word, I pray that you'll open up our hearts and our minds, that, Father, you will guide and lead us uh, through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that uh, your word will pierce our hearts, that you'll guide and, and lead each of our steps, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Seems right. There we go. Oh, hello. Good morning. I'm awake now. Let's get some strobe light effects going now, Malachi. All right. Did you know that the first act of worship described in the Bible... No, I don't want to... No, I was joking about Luke. Luke is shining a spotlight on me now. The first act of worship found in the Bible was not a song. It was not a lavish prayer or a powerful sermon. The first act of worship recorded in the Bible was just a little bit of fruit given to God by Cain. I'm not super fluent in Hebrew, which is what Genesis was written in, but the fruit given to God by Cain is recorded as a generic, just some fruit. Cain just gave a portion of the fruit that he had produced from his farming. And Genesis chapter 4 says that God was not pleased with his worship. And Cain walked away pretty angry. And God even told Cain, why are you angry in chapter 4? He says, if you do what is right, it will be accepted. The text implies that Cain knew what was right. He knew what he was supposed to do, but he chose to do what was wrong. Cain knew that his worship to God was deficient. And even Hebrews chapter 11 points out in the New Testament that Cain's brother Abel's was a better sacrifice. And we're told in Genesis chapter 4 that Abel's sacrifice came from the firstborn of his flock. I'm not a farmer, but I did want to try to put myself in the shoes of Cain and Abel, these first two children recorded 
of Adam and Eve in the Bible. I remember the first time I tried to grow some fruit. It was strawberries. I checked that plant daily for a bloom. I watered it. I gave it nutrients, a little bit of coffee. I even did a little research to see what I could purchase at Lowe's to get a good harvest of juicy strawberries. And I remember that excitement of the first bloom and then that whitish, greenish fruit that begins to sprout. And what do you think I did the minute they ripened? I called the boys over. I said, guys, we got strawberries. And we popped them strawberries in our mouth, and they were juicy. They were delicious. They were tiny. Uh, but they were good fruit. I was excited that I had created something, and I got to taste that first fruit. Debbie Wentworth gave out tomatoes this past spring, if you remember. Some of you grabbed them and tried to, tried to plant them and grow some tomatoes, I'm sure. Watered and watched as those tomatoes grew. I still have one tomato that's trying to grow on this plant. And I'm still watering it. I'm still watching it so that I can get that fruit ripe and get to enjoy my hard work. The truth is, I don't need those plants to survive. I don't need strawberries or tomatoes that are sitting on my front porch in, in, a, in a, a vase, you know, a giant, a giant container, right? I don't really need that harvest to survive. God's blessed me so much that we're able to go to the grocery and, you know, buy some groceries, some strawberries and some tomatoes uh, from the Walmarts, right? And even if I was a strawberry farmer, that first strawberry is just a small piece of a much larger harvest that I anticipate. I think a beautiful way to worship God would be to offer those first strawberries to him. It says that I'm grateful and I want to, and I'm grateful for his harvest and I owe that harvest to him. And as a selfless act, I'm going to deprive myself of the juiciness of that first fruit and just give it to God to enjoy. It speaks boldly of my faith in the one true God to provide for my needs. That, my friends, is kind of the theology behind the first fruits that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Let's read these 11 verses and talk. Moses says, or God says through Moses, that when you have entered the land, listen, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and when you've taken possession of it, and when you have settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land, the Lord your God is giving you. And he says, put them in a basket. And then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today, this is the 
the lit liturgy they would recite in this worship. I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest should take that basket from your hand, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God, and then you should declare before the Lord, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with just a few people, lived there, and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. Powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, made us suffer, and put us into hard labor. And then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our misery, toil, and oppression. And so the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place, gave us this land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens should all rejoice in the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Imagine with me that you are an Israelite in 1200 B.C. The only food you've known so far has been manna that has fallen from heaven that God has miraculously given you. You've tried all the manna dishes, <laughs> manna cakes, fried manna, grilled manna, all you've had so far is manna. And you watched, maybe with even a little bit of terror, as those priests blew the trumpets, as the armies blew the trumpets, and the walls of Jericho just miraculously fell. Maybe you fought in the battle where the sun stood still. And now, you and your family have been given land freely. You didn't have to buy the land. You didn't have to go through any kind of realtor. You have been given freely this land right here in Canaan. And it's springtime. I begin to till the ground. I begin to plant the seed, and my family waits in eager anticipation as we watch, not manna, but actual crops growing in this very fertile field, the land flowing with milk and honey. It is fertile field. I can't wait to taste that first fruit. <laughs> Anything but manna, right? I cannot wait to taste that first fruit. But some negative thoughts begin to creep through my mind. You know, we didn't drive out all the nations. 
like we were supposed to. And so I know there's these wandering hordes of evil people. You know, what if a few years from now they gather their forces and they destroy my crops? You know what, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to build a barn, a really big barn. And I'm going to take just a few, maybe 10% of my crops, and I'm going to put it in that barn. And if the hordes don't come and there's no famine in the land, I, I, mean, I probably could retire early, right? Let's be honest, that first year the Israelites planted crops was the biggest harvest I bet they've ever seen in their lives. Send my kids to college, live well, have a few toys along the way. Do you see where the many different temptations could come in as the Israelites plant their first crop? And maybe you even saw as Cain slipped off track, right? The design that God gives here in Deuteronomy chapter 26 is a perfect way to walk through the mental and physical and emotional process of worshiping God. God makes it so practiced. I want you to take all your first fruits and, in fact, put them in a basket. <laughs> Don't try to carry them. Don't load them up in a cart. Put them in, put them in a basket. And take that basket to church, to the synagogue, to the temple, to the place where the priest is. And you're going to recite your testimony. You remember the testimony. We've talked about it almost every week. I was an Israelite who was oppressed and in slavery by the Egyptian. My father, my father was in slavery. And God graciously gave us this land. He freed us from slavery. And now I am here in this new land with the fertile ground that God has given me. I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. God just gave it to me. And now I want to give back to God. As an Israelite, do I owe my harvest to God? Do I selflessly want to give God the first taste? Do I have the faith that God will provide? Now, that was the struggle of the Israelites. You don't have to be a rocket science or even a brain surgeon to know the direction I'm going with the sermon, amen? I'll be transparent with you. I understand the struggle. My grocery budget has doubled since COVID, partially because the cost of food has gone up and also partially because I have a high schooler and a middle schooler now, and they eat so much food. Mostly ramen, but it's still food. There's school fees. There's extracurricular activities. Taxes have gone up. And it seems like every time I blow my nose, my doctor sends me another bill. The struggle is real. 
And you and I, we don't live in an agrarian society, right? You all aren't farmers. You're not out there tilling the land. We don't rely on your harvest to survive. What we have is that paycheck. It comes in every month, every other week, and maybe some of you it comes every week. Let's apply some of these principles to our paycheck. I mean, for starters, everything we have, we owe to God. Everything we have, we owe to God. Amen? It was First Timothy that Paul says, but with godliness, with contentment, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Amen? But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. And those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, into many foolish and harmless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith, piercing themselves with all kinds of of grief. You and I were born naked and we're going to return to God the same way. And let's be honest. Personally, I was born in 1980. Right smack dab in the middle of the United... No, actually I was born in California. But I was born in 1980. I was not born in 1200 B.C. Come on, can we be grateful for that? Can we be grateful that we weren't born in the middle of some of the worst times of history? We were born right here. And everything we have, we owe to God. We are nothing more than stewards of what he's given us. And so, we should give to God selflessly. We should give to God selflessly. You know the parable of the rich man, right? He approaches God. He says, I want to know how I can have eternal life. And Jesus says to that rich man, well, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet and he said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done all those things. Ever since I was a little boy, I know all the commands. I memorized them. And Jesus tells him to sell everything he has and give to the poor. And we're told the rich man went away sad. And Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 19, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, someone who is rich, to enter the kingdom of God. Selfish desires 
the desire for more and more, the desires for toys upon toys. It is selfishness that makes it so hard for us to be kingdom people. And Jesus' instruction here is to live selfless lives. How are you able to do that? I think this is the final principle we see here. We have to trust that God will provide. That Jesus teaches this principle, one of the most beautiful illustrations in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and whether you'll eat or even whether you'll drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life more important than clothes? Is the body more important than clothes? Is life more important than food? Is the body more important than clothes? He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't store away in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? But seek first, he says, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We also came from slavery. It wasn't a physical bondage. A physical bondage in another country like Egypt. But it was, certainly was a spiritual bondage of sin and death. It, it was a bondage that would cost our lives. In Genesis chapter 3, you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. The, the, the wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. But God sent his only son into this world and he died the death that we deserved. And through the power of his resurrection, friends, we have been freed. And Jesus calls this new land, he doesn't call it Canaan. He doesn't call it the land flowing with milk and honey. He doesn't even call it Israel. He just calls it the kingdom of God. That's the land that you and I now live. A land that is fertile. <laughs> and God has provided for our needs that should prompt in us a desire to worship him. It's not strawberries or tomatoes. It is our lives. It's our paycheck. Ways that we can give to God. I pray that this time will be a special time of reflection for each of us, that we owe everything to God. 
that we, uh, that we can give God our first fruits, that we can trust in him. And as the band comes and sings this next uh, special music, I want to invite you to reflect as you go to one of these three communion stations. You'll take the cups. On the bottom cup is the bread, and on the top cup is the juice. Hold those cups together, and we will take the bread and the juice together when Dennis comes and shares a few more thoughts. Will you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? and reflect on this God that we serve. Father, thank you so much for the, all that you've given us in this life, how you've taken care of our needs, how the very number of hair on our head is numbered by you, how you have provided even your son, Jesus Christ, giving us freedom from death, freedom from sin, allowing us to flourish in this kingdom of God. We pray that your power will rest on us this morning as we worship and honor you, not only with our voices, but with our lives. Father, you are so, so very good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.